Well, good morning, everyone. Probably feels a little bit different in here. It's because it's 2020. So I want to tell you all, uh, when I found out I was preaching today, um, I immediately knew what I wanted to preach on. Um, and, and I'm preaching on that. But I also begin to realize that this is the first sermon of a new year. It's the first sermon of a new decade. And we have optometrists at our church, and it's 2020. <laughs> and so I'm also, I'm a dad, and so I have to have dad jokes. Like, like think of the weight on my shoulders this morning, everyone. So I've got something I need to read to all of you. It was vetted by our church's optometrists. It's a little cornea. I have been looking forward to showing you a unique point of view that can be seen if you examine the scripture with the right lens, framing it up the way Jesus envisioned for his pupils. So you're all welcome for that. So um, integrity, thank you, thank you. In, integrity said I had to make that joke. So, all right, we got that over with. Um, so now we can jump into our sermon. Um, so sermon title is Hindsight in 2020. And today um, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. And I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible or if you have a Bible app, to open it up right now to Matthew 5. Um, we also, we have notes in our bulletin if you want to look at those. Um, while you're in there, we've got a welcome card. Um, we'd love to know if you have any prayer requests or anything else. Just fill that out. At the end of the service, we'll have a time to turn those in. Um, but if you'll open to Matthew 5 with me, um, today we're going to look in the book of Matthew at the first teaching of Jesus, his first, it's a, a unit of thought, the first thing that he taught to his disciples, and then we're going to look at the last thing that he taught his disciples in Matthew 25, and we're going to answer a question about sight, and really what does it look like to see God in this life? And so we're, we're, we're going to look at that this morning, and I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited for the journey we're going to go on. But before we start, I do need to warn you, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Hopefully we'll have fun as we do it. Um, and you're also, I, I got to say it now because now you're, you'll hold me to it. Um, you're going to read along for part of it. And you'll be like, this is awkward, but we're going to do it. And so coming up, you'll have to participate a little bit. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are so good. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. Um, that As we saw all last night, that you sent your son in our place. We see that in the genealogy in Matthew, how from just the beginning you had this plan um, to, and, and you sent the Messiah, God with us, Emmanuel, that, that we might have life with you. And I, I pray today um, as we spend this time together and as we look in your word that you would open our eyes to help us notice ways that we can extend the mercy you've shown us to others. And I pray you would just give us eyes to see that. I pray you'd be speaking through me, that these would be your words and not mine. And I pray for all of us today that, that we would leave here um, both encouraged and challenged in how we're going to live out our faith. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 11. And before I start reading those, I also need to tell you a couple quick things about Matthew. Um, the Gospel of Matthew was written by a guy, Matthew, um, and, and he wrote it from a, the perspective, he was, he was a Jewish guy, he was a Jewish tax collector, but, but he wrote it for a Jewish audience. 
And for the, the, a Jewish audience, one of the things that Matthew wanted to make sure was very clear is Jesus, who was the Messiah, is a new Moses. And so Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, the foundation of the Hebrew Bible, the, the foundation of the Old Testament. And, and in Matthew, Matthew puts Jesus' teachings into five major chunks. And those five major chunks are supposed to give us an idea of Jesus as a new Moses. And where did Moses get his first teaching? He went up a mountain. So where does Jesus do his first teaching in Matthew? Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And, and, and I'm going to stop there. Um, I, I read that last, the start of that verse, because I want you to see the first eight are all blessed are the, blessed are those, blessed are, it's, it's kind of more, and then all of a sudden in, in that last verse he said, blessed are you. That's a new thought. So we're not going to spend any time there, but I, I just want to show you the first eight all have kind of a cadence. They're all kind of, they sound the same. And so when we read something like that and see that pattern, when the pattern breaks, that tells us something new is happening. But so we're going to stay in those first eight Beatitudes, and really we're just looking at one today. We're looking at blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And, and that, that's our goal today. Well, I want to see God. I, I hope all of you want to see God. And, and some of you, when you hear this, you, you're thinking, well, I, I, know the answer, I, I know what it takes to do this. We've got to answer two questions here. The first one is we need to answer the question of what does it mean to be pure in heart? And if, if you're a Christian, a believer here, um, I, there's a very clear answer to this, and that, that is, well, we're sinners. We cannot have a pure heart on our own, but Jesus, who came, the Son of God, he came, he died on the cross, he rose again, he's up in heaven, and, and his blood, if we have accepted the free gift of his salvation, we, we, or his free gift, we, we have salvation, and, and we have a pure heart before God, because his blood, he died in our place, that we might be with him forever. And so, so that answers the first question. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, it takes Jesus and what he's done and accepting that gift. And then the, the question, what does it mean to see God? Well, well that's simple, right? When we die, we're going to see God, right? So, so if you have a pure heart, when you die, you'll get to see God. That, that's, that's how I would have answered this until I started studying it deeply. But when you study it deeply, there's a lot of things that kind of change. Um, so those answers are not wrong in, in general of Christian faith, but Matthew 5, Jesus is not talking about to be pure in heart. It happens when you accept what I did on the cross. And it, it, it's nothing about that. Jesus is talking about something very different, and we're going to look at that. And so I need to explain to you a few things to give you a foundation for this. So, so these are the eight Beatitudes, the blessed are the poor in spirit, down, and you can see the first one ends in, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The last one ends in, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see all these kind of things that structurally tell you this is a big idea. What you don't see, because we speak English, is that if we were in the Greek, the, the Greek poor, who mourn, meek, who hunger, um, there's a cadence to them. They all start with a puh. 
sound. They're an alliteration. Um, and in the Greek, if you were listening to this in the Greek, and you were listening to Jesus as he spoke this from his mouth on that mountain to his disciples, you would be very sure that these first four are one idea. And then when you get to the next four, there's a different idea. And, it, and we don't get that in English. And it is like borderline impossible to translate that. So you need someone who spends a nerdy amount of time studying the Bible to help you see it. But the, the point here is that the first four are, are a unit and the second four are a unit. The first unit, uh, there's an arrow going up there. And then the second unit, there's an arrow going horizontally. And, and that's because the Beatitudes are framed up. The first four are about your relationship with God. And then the second four are about your relationship with others. Now, I'm making a claim that if you're here, you may be like, how on earth can you make this? You need to show me more. I don't have time. I wish I had time. I love the Beatitudes. I love Matthew. If you want to get coffee, I'd love to talk to you about the book of Matthew for hours. Um, but, but so the point here is, is when we talk about blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, we have to remember that it is about our relationship with others. I hope you're following me because this is foundational to everything we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to prove it, I promise. Besides just this, I'm going to show you how in the last thing Jesus teaches, he outlines what it means to have a pure heart. But so we need to answer the question of what does it mean to be pure in heart and what does it mean to see God by figuring out how this relates to our relationship and how we treat and interact with others. So the question we're going to answer this morning is what does it look like to see God in this life? We're going we're gonna to answer that in, in a very clear and tangible way, and, and we're headed there. Um, to get there, we, we need to jump all the way to Matthew 25. So, so Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, the first big teaching chunk of Jesus and Matthew. And then Matthew 23 through 25 is the last big teaching chunk of Jesus. Matthew 5 through 7 is like a, about being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. These are the ethics, these are the values. This is what it looks like to be a part of Jesus' kingdom that he's come to bring. And then Matthew 23 through 25, at the end, Jesus is talking and and he's really offering up warnings and and challenges to believers about what's going to happen in the end. And he's talking about the end times of both Jerusalem, the city, which will be destroyed in like 70-some AD, and, and he's talking about the end times in the final judgment. And, and what's really important here when we jump into Matthew 25, which we're about to, to his final chunk of teaching, we need to remember that Matthew 25 is Jesus talking just to his disciples. In Matthew 24 and 25, his disciples are asking him, hey, can you tell us more about what's to come? When is it going to happen? And Jesus responds with, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's coming. And you may be out there today thinking, you know, there, there was... Something happened this week in the Middle East. And it, every, every time something happens and, and war looms, it, it reminds us of just, just our frailty as humans and, and what's, what's to come, possibly, because, because something's coming. The, the end times are coming. We know that from the book of Revelation. And, and so these moments can fill us with, with dread about the future. But, but in this passage, I want to encourage you, when it talks about seeing God in this life, there's an encouragement in wherever we're at in this story. And so we're going to look at it right now. So we're in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. This is the end of Jesus' teaching in Matthew. He does do more things like the, the Great Commission and stuff, but his five big teaching chunks, this is his final big idea that he leaves the disciples with. 
when the Son of Man, which is a messianic title for Jesus, so the, the King Jesus, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So the picture here is the King, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of Man sitting on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Hopefully you understand our furniture changes a little bit more now. Good, good. But, and if you're sitting over here, I'm sorry that you're a goat today, but it kind of spoils what's coming, but should have sat over here. Um, okay, so the imagery here, the Son of Man, Jesus, the Messiah, on his glorious throne, has the authority to separate the people into two groups. One group are the sheep, one group are the goats. And there are different interpretations of when it says all the nations. Is that referring to all the people left alive, or is that referring to all people who have ever existed? I, I lean towards the second one. I know other people who lean towards the first one, but I, I, I think it's all the people, all people are going to stand before the throne on that day, and they're going to be separated, sheep and goats. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Remember, the Beatitudes start, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he invites the sheep into a kingdom that has been prepared since before they existed. Why? Well, he gives this reason. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was, sick, I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. He, he looks at the sheep, and what does he say? He says, come on in because of what you've done for me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, and, okay, participative moment here. Um, I'm going to read the, the first seven words, and then I'm going to, like, nod, and then you guys together have to read the rest of it. I'm get, someone's, I, are we ready? All right. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Oh, hold on, hold on. You guys aren't allowed to do this one. Sorry, just the sheep, just the sheep. So, no, you're goats. Yours is coming. So, all right. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Good job. Now, I want you to think for a moment. They are just told by the king on his throne in all of his glory, come on in, you who are blessed by my father, to the place prepared for you from before time. Their response is, are you sure that's us? And, 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 and don't miss, Lord, when did we see you? When did we see you? When did we see you? Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And what are they saying? When did we see you? And Jesus answers them. The king will answer them. Truly I say to you, 
As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What, what, what that means is that when you see the vulnerable, the hungry, the sick, the thirsty, when, when you see them, you have this opportunity to serve them the way you would serve the king. And that's why they're invited in. And they don't even realize what they have done in this story. They're not saying, yeah, we did that. They're saying, are you sure? But they're invited in. And then he's going to look to his left. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There is a kingdom prepared for the sheep from the foundation of the world. There is eternal fire prepared for the goats. And it's prepared for them the same way it's prepared for the devil and his angels. And what's important here? Um, Sometimes there's a bad theology thing where some people think that Satan and his demons and, and hell are going to rule the same way God and his angels rule in heaven. But it is going to be a place of eternal punishment for Satan and his his demons or his angels, the, the worker, his workers, and, and it's going to be the same for those who go there. Satan is not having a field day in hell. He's under the same conditions as the goats. And so the king on his glorious throne will say, Depart from me, you cursed. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. The exact same reason that they are in is just flipped. You did not feed. You did not clothe. You did not give me a drink. It's, it's you, they didn't do those things. And now it's time for you all to answer. Then they will answer, saying... They're going to ask the same question. Lord, we, we never, if we would have seen you, Lord, we would have done something. When did we miss that? And then the king will answer, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. You guys should have sat over there. It's a bummer. It really, it's a bummer. This passage is, is hard. And, and we, we need to remember a few things. We're, um, because we, if, if you've grown up in the church, if you, if you know your doctrine, um, you should have this little alarm going off about, well, hold on, hold, hold on. You go to Ephesians, we're saved by grace alone, not by our works. So what's happening here? And we, we have to figure out how this fits, because this is also in the Bible, so we can't just ignore it. Um, but, 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 but what's happening here is Jesus is talking to his disciples and trying to paint a picture for them, and he is trying to show them what belief looks like. What belief looks like. And when we use the word belief, unfortunately that word in English is just weak. We say belief. You can believe in a political ideology. You can believe in ghosts. You can believe in your sports team. You can believe that these playoffs are the best NFL playoffs in a long time as of last night. 
Uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Patriots fans. But, but we can believe in things on a very superficial level like that. But in, in the New Testament, in, in a Jewish worldview of that time, or even in a Greek worldview of that time, what belief meant was not cheap. It was not something I hold in, well, yeah, I believe that. What belief was, was I have claimed, not I have claimed that, claims the wrong word, but, but I am a part of that, therefore I have to live differently. What belief is, is it, belief is, if, if I believe this, it changes my words, thoughts, and actions. And so when we come to this passage, what's happening is not, there's not a group of people who God's like, you did enough good works, so you're in. What, what the sheep are in this story are people who claim to be Christians, who have given their lives to Christ, that have truly given their lives to Christ. And how did they give their lives to Christ? They, they accepted what Jesus offered them and then lived out that truth. The way that Jesus was merciful to those who were vulnerable and those who were marginalized, they also were the same to the point of they didn't even realize they were serving him. Do you see that that what they did in this story and, and what they've done is it's not, Lord, I did all these things so that you would invite me in. They don't even realize that what they did was for the king. It's in their muscle memory. They saw someone who was hungry and they said, I have the power to make them less hungry. They're going to be less hungry at the end of this. And so they, um, this is, by the way, this is, the idea here is mercy. If you have the power to give someone a drink and you offer them a drink, you're offering, you're extending mercy to them. And when someone is vulnerable and you have a way to help and prop them up and do something for them, you are extending mercy to them. And, and so what is happening in this story is you've got one group, the sheep, are those who say, I, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I believe he's my resurrected king. I, I, I live my life for him. And they do. And then you've got another group who, whether or not they say it, their actions do not align with their faith. And this does not mean that you are saved by works, but what this does mean is that your works better match your faith. That is so, so important. I, in, in the last few weeks, I've been really processing how to, how to think about this and how to talk about actions because one of the, one of the things here um, that, that I think is a tension is that if I start telling you, well, here's a place where I offered mercy, it's almost like I've kind of missed the point, right? Because now I'm like, Lord, here's what I did for you. And that seems kind of disingenuous to this. Um, but I'm going to try to do this. But um, so, so in the last few weeks, I have been praying, Lord, help me notice opportunities where I can be merciful to others. And it doesn't always, like, happen. Like, Jess and I, um, on Christmas Day, drove back to Iowa, and what should have been a five-hour drive with our baby was, like, a nine-hour drive, plus the time it took to jump our car before we even got started. Um, For anyone who hasn't had children, whenever you have children, that first time you drive a long distance with them, you're going to, like, regret everything. But then it ends, and then you're like, it's okay. But but anyway, so, so I was, like, praying on that trip, Lord, help me notice a place where I can be merciful and where, where someone's maybe marginalized. And, and all I got was I was polite to cashiers who had to work on Christmas Day. That's all I got. There, like I, we didn't interact with very many people. We, we were staying in our car for feedings and then the illness, it was just kind of, we had to keep our car on because the battery, we were worried if we turned it off, we'd be stuck. And so it was just kind of a weird day. But, but I got back from that and, and I'm praying, Lord, help me notice places where I can be merciful the way you are merciful. And on January 2nd, I have this great illustration of, um, I was at Costco. 
Never go to Costco on January 2nd because it's closed on January 1st and everyone's there on January 2nd and there aren't really samples. So don't go to Costco on January 2nd. But I went there because I, I'm in the process, right? So we have our, we have our um, church membership for Costco and I'm, I'm the name holder this year on it. And so I've got that thing where we return it and we get the money back from it and all, all that. And then we have to pay for our new one. And so I went in to do that on January 2nd. I got there, saw how busy it was. And I was like, well, I'm here already, no big deal. I went in and got in line for member services. I was the first person in line. So I was like, this can't take too long. And then the girl who was at member service was like, hold on, I'm helping someone else. And she just kept running like to the other side of the store and back. Hold on, I'll I'll get you in a second. Hold on, hold on. And while I was waiting there and kind of starting to feel impatient, this other guy comes in and he's coming to the line and he goes, you in line? I was like, yeah. And so, and he just, he looked like, like, oh my gosh, I, why, you know, and and as we were sitting there, um, he's looking, he keeps looking at his phone. He's got a picture of his receipt from getting gas or from the the screen. His, uh, His receipt didn't print. And it was a receipt for work, and he was on a work call, but he's running out of gas, and so he stopped at Costco to get gas, and then the receipt printer didn't work, and he's already on a call. Just this, like, crazy thing. And as I'm sitting there, the Lord was like, Matt, you got time. And so when the lady finally came back and said, all right, I can help you next, I went, oh, no, it's him. And so he went up. He, it took her, like, two seconds to take care of him. Then he went out. He's like, thanks, man, left. Um, and then I went up, and it took forever. And if I would have gone first... How terrible for that guy who just needed a quick thing. And, and I don't say this to say, great job, Matt, or to say, you need to let everyone cut you at grocery stores. You'll never get out of Walmart if you do. But I've been praying, Lord, help me see these moments. And the Lord showed me that moment. We had another one, um, church, pastor appreciation, you are so great to us. Um, thank you for that. And every year we get some gift cards that let us, like Jess and I go on dates. And um, our dates this year have been I'm going to go pick up takeout from these wonderful places. And so we did um, takeout on Friday night. And I, I'm still praying, Lord, help me see these opportunities. And on Friday night, as I was walking into on the border to get takeout, um, this family was walking in. And they have, it was like a mom and a dad. And they had these two little kids. And it looked like they were like, it, this might have been their first time going out to eat since they had children. They looked super overwhelmed. I wondered, like, did they burn? Like, I just, when I saw them, I just noted them. And I was like, huh. They look like they've been having a rough day. So uh, the husband held the door open for me, and I held the next door, you know, and that thing. So then they got in line, and then they found out there was going to be a wait. And they looked devastated. And then I go up there, and I go, hey, and they're like, oh, the takeout's on the other side of the building. So I walk there. I give them my gift card. They run it through, and they're like, oh, you got this much left over. And at that moment, the Lord was like, you don't need that. And so I took that back, and just as I walked by the family, I just said, hey, there's like, uh, on this, like 10 bucks. And so and then didn't like say, hey, come to Springbrook. Just like in that moment, the Lord was like, you, just, you don't need this. They're hungry and their day looks a lot worse than yours. And so, so it was just that moment. And it was just, it's not about you need to go give everything away. But it's about I'm praying and the Lord is showing me these little moments where it's like, oh, that's a little thing I can do. That doesn't, it's, it's, it's taking what you have and being able to offer that to others in a way that, that just hopefully that couple out of that just felt blessed. And felt loved. And, and hopefully they felt just a little bit of God's love. And, and the ultimate goal is to bring people to Christ. But how we do that starts with how we operate as agents of mercy. A really sad, but happy, but good. I don't know how many of you, these are Mr. Rogers' last words. He, he said to his wife, do you think I'm a sheep while on his deathbed shortly before going in a coma? And her response was, if anyone's a sheep, you are. 
And my goal today is not to decide whether or not Mr. Rogers was a sheep, um, because that's for God to decide. The shepherd will separate the sheep from the goats. That's not our job. But, but what I want to tell you is, in, in researching his life, because there's like a documentary on him, and then the Tom Hanks movie on him, all, all these things have come out. And, and the thing is, the more I hear about his life, the more I just admire the way that he upheld the dignity of people as image bearers of God. And there's a specific story. If you've never heard this story, this story brought me to tears. Um, in like 1968, segregation laws are being just overturned all over. It's all these good things are happening. But, um, but in the midst of that, um, black people weren't allowed in the same pools as white people. There was segregation. And there, there was also inside of that, there was violence. There, there were these terrible stories of things happening. And Mr. Rogers, um, and if you didn't know this, he was an ordained minister ordained to do television ministry. Now, in his role, he probably could not have gotten on his children's show and said, hey, children, you need to be in pool. Like, there should be no segregation in a swimming pool. If he would have done that, his show would not have extended as long as it did, right? Like, I, if he went that political. But so what he did was he had a black police officer on his show, and uh, he, he said, hey, what if we do an episode? And this is a recreation of that moment, um, much like 30 years later, but he said, what if... I'm, you come to the backyard when I'm there and my feet will be in this little pool and you sit next to me and put your feet in the pool. And then they shared a towel. And they didn't make a big deal out of it, but it was a very big deal. And, and Mr. Rogers in that moment showed just an act of mercy just to say, you know what, here is something I can do inside of my influence to help this situation in a way that says a message loud and clear without doing anything inappropriate to what I'm called to do. And, and he did that, and it's such a powerful moment in his ministry. And he had so many moments like that. And so I, I, that is an act of mercy. And I don't think anyone here is on television, so you can't do that one anymore. Um, but, but I want to encourage you all that, that in your sphere of influence, there are opportunities all the time for us to be agents of mercy. And, and that's what it means to see God in this life. What does it look like to see God in this life? It's, it's seeing opportunities where we can serve the marginalized and the vulnerable. Um, what I want to challenge you to today is that you would develop merciful muscle memory. Develop merciful muscle memory. And, and what I mean by that is that if you look in that passage, the sheep don't know that what they did was for the king. The, the pure in heart aspect of this is they didn't do these things thinking, if I do these things, God will love me. They did these things, this was muscle memory. This was, there's an opportunity for me to do this, therefore I'm going to do it. It's that simple. One, one of the things I love in our youth ministry is um, if you ever need to move, um, first off, I have the spiritual gift of loading things into U-Haul trailers, um, and I would love, I would love to use that gift for you. Um, I really would. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite things. It's weird how satisfying it is for me. But, um, so I, I talk about it a lot. Um, I like Tetris as well. But um, our, our boys, whenever we have, and our girls, whenever we have opportunities, we, we, talk, we say, hey, can we get a group of people together to go help this person move? And we don't do that because doing that means we get to be sheep. My hope and prayer is that by doing that with them here and now, one, we're serving in our community, but two, is that, that then when they have another opportunity or when they see like a little moment where someone needs help lifting something, they'll say, I know how to lift things, and they'll go help them lift it. Like it, it sounds so simple, but it's having that muscle memory of you see where you can take action and you take it. 
And, and I, I will tell you a, another important side of this. We're given this story of the sheep and the goats where both sides are confused at the end of the story on why they're in and why they're not. What's really important, and what the sermon's titled hindsight in 2020, we know about this. This isn't a pop quiz, right? Like someday in heaven you want to say, God, you didn't tell me that. And if you're here today, I'm sorry, now, you're, now you've heard it. So there's no ignorance in this. Um, I hope you all see that. But, but the, the, the point is, is because we know this, because we are aware of it, we, we can't ignore it. And, and the challenge in this is, is we need to be doing this intentionally when we think about it. We need to be trying to develop merciful muscle memory in the church, in our families, in our relationships. So when we have those moments where, where someone who's marginalized, who's, who's vulnerable, who's th- thirsty or hungry or something as simple as that, where we can serve them. And I do want to point out in this one of the most important things is that this is going to take time. This absolutely takes time. It's inconvenient, but you can't do this unless you're willing to set your time aside to serve others. When Jess and I were living in the city, um, there, we'd pass homeless people all the time. And there were times where, you know, like we, we'd want to help them. And there, there, are, there are different schools of thoughts on how to help homeless people. Some people say you should give them money. Some people say you should never give them money because they might use it to buy bad things. Um, but one of the things that we did is if we walked by somebody and felt any type of prompting, we would say, you want to go get Subway? And we'd go get Subway, and then I, my goal was always, I'm just going to sit down and try and find out their life story. And I'm just going to listen. And, and it was inconvenient a lot of the time. It was also a lot of times I could tell that the guy I was sitting across the table from was like, as soon as I'm done eating, Goodbye. I mean, I had those moments, but the thing was, is I, I wasn't doing this, so, so, you know, to solve anything for them. I was doing this to just extend. I, I can feed you. I have five bucks to buy you a six-inch sandwich. Like, I, let, let me just serve you in this way. And, and doing that was, was just when we could do it. It did take time because then you'd have to walk to the subway. You'd have to get in line. You'd have to do that. You know, but, but the point is, is that it's going to take time. But, but it's worth it because if we believe, like Jesus took the time to come to this earth. So, so we can take a little bit of time too. Um, a great example of this for developing merciful muscle memory, we're, we have Night to Shine coming up. Um, our, our team has a big meeting today. If you've signed up to volunteer, you're about to get a lot of information. Um, Matt is disorganized. You're welcome. But, but Night to Shine is coming up. Um, in, it's February 7th. It's a Friday night. And what's amazing about this is Tim Tebow, who, who was a football player and then sports commentator, and he's kind of a baseball player now. I don't know, but he is an amazing man of God. Um, A few weeks ago, we had a team that got to sit in a conference call where he just shared with all of the churches that are involved in this event. This event has been going on six years, and this year there are 700 churches around the globe across 22 countries that are doing one of these events. And what is this event? It's a prom for special needs kids. And his vision for it the first year, he said, I want to do this event. I want to do a special needs prom. And his foundation said, okay, that sounds cool. Um, We need to find a venue. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. I want it to be done. Can we find local churches to partner with? And that first year, they had like 50 to 100. And and every year, it's been growing. And this year, we get to be a part of it. And I I will tell you, hearing his heart for it and hearing him talk about the, the goal is for one night, we're going to prop up people that are generally marginalized and an afterthought and we are going to build them up in the best way that we can 
because this night is just for them. It's for them to shine. That's the point of it. And, and so church, I want to challenge you. If, if you're looking for, I want to develop muscle or merciful muscle memory, that's a great opportunity. We've got a sign-up table out there. I'll be out after the service. I'd love to answer any questions you have. But, but I also want to encourage you that it's not just events like this, because the point of that event, the point of when we serve here at the church, is so that we build up this muscle memory, this merciful muscle memory, so that those opportunities when we're outside these four walls, where there's someone that just, they're in passing, you just notice them and realize you can meet a need. So in those moments, we take that step and we wind up serving the king without even realizing it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus and that he died on the cross for our sins, that, that by believing in him, our, our sins would be covered by his blood and we would be saved that, that we could be a part of your kingdom work. And Father, I pray for anyone here that, that believes in your name, in, in, in their, their believes in your son in, in their, their head, but they, their actions don't match it and they, they don't live it out. I, I pray that today that, that you would just open their eyes to that, that, that they would just recognize that, that they would say, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to live this with merciful muscle memory. I'm, I'm going to live out my faith. I'm going to give my life fully to you, Lord. And I, I pray for everyone here that does know you, that, that we would begin to pray, that we would begin to notice and, and see these opportunities where we can just serve you in, in real and tangible ways in our community and around the world. I, I pray that you would open our eyes to opportunities to serve. I, I pray that um, you would help us to see those who are marginalized that we've never noticed before. I pray that we would help the vulnerable when we can and, and that you would just open our eyes that we would be agents of your kingdom in this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.